0: Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it! Enjoy the episode! Hey guys, just wanted to let you know that this episode delves into a very difficult topic, including content that might otherwise be uncomfortable, offensive, and maybe even triggering. As such, I've marked this episode as explicit, so I figure that's a fair warning. If you choose to listen to this episode, I hope you find it insightful and at least marginally enjoyable. (laughs) Anyways, there you go. Hi, my name's Melvin, and I'm so busy nowadays. Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a non-spoiler Christian movie podcast where we sit at the table of cinema and eat. Tonight we'll be dining on Amazon Prime's The Boys. This is a little different for me. In fact, it's kind of against one of the main things about Cinematic Doctrine. I've wanted to strictly stick to films rather than talk about any shows or miniseries, but with the undeniable popularity and attention The Boys is garnering, I figured I'd take a crack at it. And I was aware of what I was getting into. I've read my fair share of comics, you know, ones that aren't superheroes. The Boys was originally a comic series started in 2006 by Garth Ennis. He's well known for writing some prolific yet quite abrasive stuff, having created Preacher, Crossed, and a well-received run with The Punisher. And if you're interested, he has an especially frightening Spider-Man run with Spider-Man The Thousand. It's pure nightmare fuel. Just Google it. But we're here to talk about Amazon's adaption of his comic, The Boys, so let's get started. Huey Campbell's girlfriend Robin is dead. Obliterated, actually. Vaporized by A-Train, the world's fastest man alive and one of The Seven, an elite group of superheroes. He accidentally ran through her, but superhero accidents have super consequences, and Huey's devastated. But before he can seek justice, a representative from Vought, the corporation A-Train works for, approaches Huey with a sizable check. The catch? Sign an NDA that he'll never talk about the accident ever again. Disgusted, Huey rejects the initial offer, but not before a mysterious man named Billy Butcher meets him and says, You want justice? I can get you justice. Meanwhile, Annie January, a young, independent superhero who goes by the name of Starlight, has received the opportunity of a lifetime. She's won a seat in The Seven and begins the induction process to join the greatest superheroes the world has ever seen. She'll work alongside Maeve, a powerhouse of pure strength and feminine prowess, Black Noir, the mysterious ninja-like assassin, the Deep, aquatic aficionado, Translucent, the Invisible Man, the previously mentioned A-Train, the world's fastest man alive, and the beloved Homelander, A patient, kind, all-powerful force of nature who stands for truth, justice, and the American way. Sound familiar? The Boys is rated TVMA. Unfortunately, television programming doesn't detail the certificate beyond that. And because this is a show, it would take a long time to detail vaguely the kind of content within. So let me just say this. The Boys is very, very graphic. Although the graphic content is, in short, bursts, they're interspersed throughout the series. The graphic violence is over-the-top and cartoony, but still may contain visuals that might stand out as frightening and traumatic, while the sexual content is quite provocative and contains debauchery of all kinds. Now, most of these segments are played off in a negative light, in other words, there is an awareness that what is happening is bad, rather than trying to make a case that anything good is happening. Case in point, the scene in which Robin is obliterated is highly graphic, but treated respectfully, as it's supposed to be a bad thing. Other moments, sexual ones, are also respected as bad, although it's unfortunate that this is executed with actual nude actors, since that's always 100% a mistake. Now, there are some scenes that play these moments as comedic, and while the violence can get away with that sometimes, the comedic sexual stuff is about the most offensive the show gets. And while this has little to do with the sex or violence, there's an episode that targets organized religion, Christianity in particular. I've learned that this episode was most bothersome to some people, and that wasn't even coming from exclusively Christians. There's some non-Christians I've heard that are saying it's a little too on the nose. Along with that, it's important to say that this show is very dark, and contains some plot points that can be just downright depressing. I know a few people I've talked to and a few reviews I've read where people said they liked the show but didn't necessarily enjoy the time they had watching it, so I'll leave this content warning with that. As for me, I liked the show and for the most part enjoyed my time watching it, and by that I want to emphasize that obviously I had problems with certain parts with the show especially an entire episode dedicated to satirizing modern Western Christianity, since it's something in the Christian church we struggle with. The fact that the world pairs legitimate Christians with Christian in-name leaders like Joel Osteen, Benny Hinn, and Kenneth Copeland continues to be a thorn in our side, as they're false preachers who care nothing for the people they speak to. They care about money, fame, and nothing else. So that was a real shame to have an entire episode that played around like that, but Garth Ennis is rather outspoken with his distaste toward Christianity and religion as a whole. Anyone could learn that by picking up one of his books. And I think there's a good question going on for my Christian audience, wondering what in the heck was I thinking by starting a show like this, let alone enjoying it? Well, that's why I decided I would do an episode on this, and I think things will become clear as I talk about The Boys, then tie it up with some closing thoughts. First off, and this is a no-brainer, The Boys is a commentary, although it's not really a commentary on superheroes. I don't think you can really commentate on a genre, simply the execution of that genre. And in that case, The Boys isn't commentating on the superhero genre because it fits appropriately as a superhero show. The show is about superheroes, and what those superheroes do is where we can begin to learn the show's commentary, satire, and everything it touches. For instance, the Seven are a group of extremely powerful and popular heroes that have become less like crime fighters and more like brands. They have products they represent, movies, make special appearances, basically everything except crime fighting. In fact, some of the only crime fighting the show offers is in the first five minutes when a car is barreling down New York and Mave lands in front of the vehicle, stopping it in its tracks. Apart from that, we're largely treated to conferences, interpersonal drama, and horrible, dehumanizing acts of misogyny, sadism, and general apathy. A lot of this comes down to image, as Vaught appears to the world as a first-class mercenary service in the pursuit of justice. And yet, we can hear in the show's exposition that Vaught isn't worried about justice, it isn't worried about appropriately reaching out to Huey during his turmoil. No, it cares about monetarily suppressing his voice among a crowd of disgruntled collateral victims. Why would Vought have to damage their identity if they can simply buy out opposing voices? Even members of the Seven worry about their image. Characters like The Deep, who's essentially Aquaman, struggles with self-image. He's constantly berated for being the fish guy on the team, basically Aquaman's stigma before Jason Momoa was cast and is treated to fish-themed slurs from other members. And while I can't excuse his horrendous acts, one can't help but feel for the guy. And honestly, you could say the same for virtually any character in The Boys. Although nearly every character has done something terrible, horrible, evil, disgusting, abhorrent, there are times of incredible, unique, heartfelt pain that resonate with such force. You'd be surprised how easy it is to go from hating a character to sympathizing with them in an instant. And again, that's not an excuse. I can hurt for those who hurt, while also being totally against their actions. In fact, The Boys is essentially an extreme exercise in that regard. I would even argue it's a consistent theme throughout the show, that characters start with you feeling one way, then you find your opinion is changing by the end of the show. And that's a good jumping off point for me to talk about a huge theme that's present from the very start. There's an ever-present postmodern worldview that soaks the very script, of the boys. It's saturated like a wet towel. There isn't a moment in this story that doesn't seek to undermine our, or its characters, preconceived notions about the individual's relationships or the world at whole. There's a wonderful scene early on in the series where Huey stops home. He has to pick up some things and it's almost a nightmare when he realizes how much of the Seven's memorabilia is in his room. Posters of Homelander, The Deep, and A-Train are everywhere, even some humorous pop vinyls see themselves on his shelves. It's a daunting revelation that the heroes he grew up with were nothing more than faulty idols whose mere presence put everyone and anyone he loved at risk. He starts ripping everything from the walls, destroying action figures, and crushing collectibles in a fit of rage. Soon after, Huey starts to experience more and more how heinous and untrustworthy the Seven are. And we start to see how deep Vought's corruption runs when we're shown Starlight's perspective. From corporate blackmail, suppressing scandals, and pushing its representatives into compromising positions, we start to see how easy it is to compare the horrors of Vought to corporate America, let alone corporate greed as a whole. Despite the graphic novel releasing in 2006, its adaption mirrors the times we're living in where questionable ethics are standard press for corporates like Nestle, Amazon, Walmart. And it goes without saying that, in an ever-increasing postmodern world, we're witnessing a shift in ethical accountability with regards to not only interpersonal corporate relations, but individuals as well. Alongside that, we're also learning things that we otherwise would never suspect possible, things that shift our entire worldview of those we've idolized for years and years. To that end, I'd like to mention some stories that have shaken the fabric of Western culture and changed our perspective on the world around us. In 1992, the Boston Globe began its comprehensive coverage detailing the decades-long mismanagement of former Reverend James R. Porter, and his 30-year reign as a sexual predator. His actions were well-known in the diocese he worked in and conveniently overlooked by his superiors. Porter was relocated whenever accusations would surface, transported from one church to another, despite the church's well-documented evidence of his despicable actions. Over 100 children were assaulted by this man's actions, and there was nothing secret about it. In 2002, the Boston Globe seems stuck in a time loop as they began extensive coverage of another reverend named John J. Gagan, a man who, yet again, for 30 years, was sexually assaulting over 100 children. Similar to Porter. Gagin's horrific tenure spanned 1960 onward, and in one particular case, amidst a criminal act of negligence, the church sought to suppress the words of Marietta Dusard, a mother of a daughter and three sons, as well as caretaker for her niece's four other boys, in which she sought justice for the abuse of her children at the hands of Gagin. In response, the church said, "...they were bigger than she was, and she wouldn't be believed, and they probably couldn't afford legal counsel." Following this, the church quietly relocated Gagin to another church where he continued his heinous acts. Apart from bully tactics to restrict individuals from talking, payments would be issued to ensure silence among parties that suffered by the hands of Gagin. Just imagine donating money to the church only to find that money is used to pay off survivors of sexual abuse. Come August 14, 2018, the New York Times released an article directing attention to a massive, 1300-page grand jury investigation into six of the eight dioceses of Pennsylvania. In it contains stories incriminating upwards of 300 individual priests of child sexual assault, and it confirmed 1,000-plus abuse cases, a number that fails to capture even the unspoken truths hidden behind fear and shame. The Catholic worldview and subsequent trust in their God, organized religion, and the mere concept of a higher being is shaken, beaten, and torn apart by lies, secrecy, and scandal year after year as 70 years worth of corporate misconduct is revealed to the eyes of the public. Now, as some of you may notice from previous episodes of Cinematic Doctrine, as well as the About section of my website, I'm not Catholic. I'm Protestant. Because of this, I feel I need to be clear about something. I'm not using the boys to record a hit piece on the Catholic Church. In fact, the Protestant Church has this problem as well. Recorded by blogs like Watchkeep, Spiritual Sounding Board, and the Wartburg Watch, you can read about countless men and women who have been sexually assaulted by Protestant church officials, or scandals where Protestant churches cover up sexual abuse within its membership. There has even been a comprehensive six-part investigated piece published by the Houston Chronicle detailing upwards of 700 abuse cases in Southern Baptist circles. In one case, a woman was sexually assaulted in 1997 by a teacher at a private school. The man who assaulted her, John Longaker, had served a prison sentence in 1998 and has since been released. Where is he now? Serving as a pastor in a church in Vermont. Following this, when approached by Darlene Parsons, author for the Wartburg Watch, Longaker said he was innocent. He had only pleaded guilty at the advice of his lawyer who confidently asserted he could get probation. Following this, he claimed that the woman was simply trying to get revenge and that the Apostle Paul was forgiven and went on to become a church leader. Therefore, he believes he is justified in his vocation. I've mentioned both Catholic and Protestant scandals because, as far as the world is concerned, the Catholic Church and Protestant Church are one and the same. If you were to ask an irreligious coworker what the difference was between Catholicism and Protestantism, they likely wouldn't have a clue. Heck, if you asked a member of your church, they probably wouldn't either. Another important reason to mention this is that, ultimately, the combined failure of the Catholic and Protestant church to appropriately tackle this issue propagates a culture that feels damaged by faith, damaged by organized religion, and damaged by God. From a 1993 article comprised by Linda Machen for the Boston Globe, one in which it covers Porter's heinous acts, she writes that most survivors shared a profound sense of spiritual restlessness, a lack of inner peace that most reported a loss of faith in the Catholic Church. Following this, she reports on a qualitative difference between sexual abuse from within the church to sexual abuse without it. In it, she states that as children, they had been betrayed by the ultimate figure of trust, a priest who was a stand-in for God. These children's agony could only be described as existential and that it was too much to bear. If God would betray you, who do you turn to? Our age is one in which everything we believe in has been stripped down to its leprous skin. We're constantly hearing about tragedy happening behind the scenes covered up by corporate image and individual pride. Although it's a little tangential, I can't help but mention Harvey Weinstein. I mean, goodness, people knew about his actions for years. Seth MacFarlane even made a joke about it during the 2013 Oscars that the five nominees for Best Actress no longer had to pretend to be attracted to Harvey Weinstein. Or perhaps more plainly, it's appropriate to say that our trust is simply being bombarded from every direction. 2015 saw a horrid case in which Brock Turner sexually assaulted a woman passed out behind a dumpster, and yet justice was served half-baked when he was given a six months jail time only served three, all because the judge felt a prison sentence would have a severe impact on him. It's episodes like this where I wish I had an after dark section so I could let loose with some intense language and furious rage. I mean, my goodness! Every passing day we are learning that truth, justice, and the American way is a sham. A mask, a false image, before a horrible reality. A disgusting world that is filled to the brim with rampant sin. Nobody believes in truth because the truth they've trusted in has burnt them. Nobody believes in justice because it's biased and incomplete. Nobody believes in the American way because it's not a dream, but a nightmare. And the boys knows this. It knows that the heroes we look up to are not only faulty, but, on occasion, evil. That the ideals we strive for are rife with exploitation. That the products we purchase consume us. That justice is impossible on this earth, and that, even when we take it into our own hands, it's worthless. The big question is, do we know this? Do we have any idea how much damage Porter, Gagin, and Longaker, and countless other church officials have caused to our culture's view on God? Can we even comprehend the faithlessness that injustice breeds when a young man is sentenced to six months, serves three, for the sexual assault of a woman, of which his father calls 20 minutes of action? Do we have any idea what it's like to grow up with aspirations, dreams of success and security, only to be told by Harvey Weinstein that you won't be able to make it in this business unless you make it with me? If not, we better start learning. It only takes a short study to understand why a show like The Boys can become a breakout hit for Amazon. Why so many people connect with the injustice Huey experiences at the hand of a company more concerned with its image than its collateral damage. Why so many people stand with Starlight as she fights for honesty and her ideals despite facing opposition from every direction. Why so many people relate to Butcher's incessant need for personal justice in a world that seems devoid of it. Why people love to hate Homelander and The Seven while simultaneously sympathizing with their drama as even the evilest members seem to struggle greatly with the pain of the world. Of course, Black Noir is great. He's pure. Nothing's wrong with him. I guess what I mean to say is, The Boys is so in tune with the Western world as it is now. Nobody trusts anyone. There's no faith in the justice system, and any dream or ideal is simply a layover from adolescence. But that's not true. Truth is out there because God has made it clear in scripture. Justice is active because God is active. And our ideal in becoming like Christ is a process happening every day. I want to call back to some of those blogs I was talking about. Women like Darlene Parsons, who created Wartburg Watch, and Julianne Smith, who started Spiritual Sounding Board, are creating a platform for survivors of sexual assault where they can share their story and seek justice for the abuse they've endured at the hands of Protestant church officials. Their ventures have been effective, helpful, and are combating a systematic issue. And they don't have to be the only ones. Recently, as I've learned so much more about these issues, I've emailed my associate pastor a few questions regarding the church's response to sexual misconduct, like what sort of actions they take to prevent sexual harm. It's important for me to know how my church has prepared itself to handle such a horrible situation, whether it be in response to a church member or staff member committing such a crime. And although I'm not responsible for my church's every action, I am responsible to keep my church accountable, both as an institution and as individual brothers and sisters in Christ. As Christians, we are called in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 to encourage one another, to build one another up. And we can only do that if we are well-educated in the things the world struggles with, because, consequently, we likely struggle with them too. Right now, the Western world has no faith, not just in God, but in anything. And as we target prominent issues, we begin to mend not only the relationship among one another, we encourage the mending of a relationship with God. That can be intimidating, but let me encourage you to start with one issue. Pick one issue to learn about, pray about, and advocate for. The Lord commands it of you, after all, encourage one another, right? And you can't encourage someone toward awareness and education unless you yourself are aware and educated. And if the Lord commands it of you, and the Lord is good, then it must be a good act for you to start somewhere. For instance, learn about the actions you can take to prevent sexual assault, learn about how you can care for sexual assault survivors, and reach out to your church or your local government and learn about special hotlines, support groups, and preventative measures to keep men, women, and children safe from sexual assault. In doing so, you represent and enforce the truth of Scripture and its renewing power. In doing so, you repair the injustice of the world by encouraging spirit-filled hearts to live like Christ. In doing so, you exhibit the ideal of Jesus Christ of reaching out to the poor and needy, harmed and afflicted, and mending the souls of those who suffer day in and day out. Soon you'll find this justice spread from your circle to your community and out into the world. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you've seen The Boys, what did you think of it? Were you surprised at how funny the show can get sometimes, or did you find the content way too offensive to your liking? If you're listening on Cinematic Doctrine's website, let me know in the comments. Or shoot me an email to cinematicdoctrine at gmail.com. By the way, I made a guest appearance on Shattercast, a Christian YouTube roundtable discussion about various geek culture topics where we talked about Spider-Man Far From Home. Check that out for some interesting and insightful thoughts. If you'd like to support the show, jump on over to Cinematic Doctrine's Facebook page and be sure to follow for updates on episodes, movie news, and my usual shenanigans. You can also support the show by leaving a review for Cinematic Doctrine on your respective podcast app. All this will be available in the show notes. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematicdoctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.